everyone, and welcome back to FinTech for the People, the Axion Venture Lab podcast. I'm Matt Shar, operating partner here at Venture Lab, and it's our final episode of the season. We've had some phenomenal guests on the podcast these past few weeks to share their perspectives on Web3, blockchain, and crypto, and their potential impacts on financial inclusion. They've ranged from investors, practitioners, to interested parties, and with all of this knowledge on the table, the question arises, well, what's next? So today, I'm happy to have Venture Lab's managing partner and fellow FinTech for the People host, Ami Parbu, join me for a quick recap. We wanted to leave you with our own opinions on the Web3 space and how we as a team intend to approach it moving forward. Ami, welcome. It's great to uh, it's great to have you here. Welcome back. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much, Matt. It's great to be back and to be on the other side. Yeah, I was wondering. It must there must be a bit of a different view over over there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm I'm really excited to have this this conversation with you as we wrap up this past season. Have you captured some 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 insights and findings from it? <laughs> oh yeah, this season has been amazing. I feel like I've learned so much about this space, and you know, you've had some incredible guests on. Um, you've covered a lot of ground, and it's a super complicated topic. So yeah, I'd actually turn it on you, Matt. I mean, what what have been some of your big takeaways from this season? And and ultimately, I mean, the question I have on the top of my mind after listening to everyone was sort of like, why, why should we as an inclusive fintech investor, why should anyone who cares about inclusive fintech continue to look at the space? Yeah. Um, pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's, um, it it really has been a, it's been a fantastic season in just hearing different perspectives from a DFI slash bilateral organization space, but also from builders and investors. And, um, I think, I think the best way for me to, to summarize and uh, I wrote this a little bit in, in our article in Web3 as well, is that there's, I think there's an immense amount of opportunity there. But at the same time, I think there's been a lot that we've seen that, that has been led by hype and a lot, of, a lot of perspectives that come from, I wouldn't say necessarily always bad actors, but necessarily actors with ulterior motives that are, that are a bit of a diversion from financial inclusion. And so it's good to bring it back to the conversation that is centered around what we're looking for and finding important in the space. And I think each of the guests reinforced that in different ways. So if you go back to episode one, we were talking to to Tim and Ken from Mercy Corps Ventures. They really brought up the importance of piloting uses of technology in these markets and and using that as a a good testbed to back up what the tech can actually claim to do. Can they see real world applications of it? And is it working in in the field? And then when we spoke with Sam at, at Goldfinch, we started to to notice that there's a, a particular way that that crypto can open up new forms of 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 liquidity pools. So really, it's trying to expand expand the pie of available capital that can be lent and then delivered into into local local markets. And also, it was great because you know Sam has a lot of experience working in those capital markets, so he's seen it from the traditional space and how that how that applies or or what needs to be adjusted when you utilize something more decentralized. And then from Paul at USAID, I really appreciated his nuanced view because he, he really emphasized he emphasized that they are technology agnostic when it comes to promoting financial inclusion. And in particular, though, he's he's really seen he's had some concerns about crypto as being a bona fide enabler of these solutions, and and he he really wanted to emphasize 
the the need for more of an evidence base that the tech does what it actually says. And, and so he he really, I think, reiterated the things that Tim and Ked sent for Mercy Corps around really making sure we're, we're testing these models and piloting them effectively, but not having seen evidence and, and where it's moving forward is a not so much an, an indictment, but an exhortation for the industry. And then finally, for, for Mercedes at Kipu, she's, I, I really, I really appreciated her background and her research into community, uh, into community development and, uh, and economic empowerment and applying that using new technologies for a clearly underserved customer in, in Colombia, but also to, to be transparent around some of the, the speculation around tokenized approaches and how regulation might affect that. So, so really, if anything, all of these added up, I think, to, to questions around the future of the space. But moreover, I'm glad that there are people who are looking at this technology and finding ways to, to make it more mature in how we're leveraging that technology, how we can refine the, the regulatory framework. And also, I think, to bring intelligent actors into the space that are willing to not only build up the evidence base, but then also invest in models that are really promoting financial inclusion. So, so if anything, just a really great set of um, comprehensive discussions throughout the, throughout the week or through the season. I loved how it really highlighted some of the emerging use cases that are really exciting about this technology. But I think every one of your guests balanced the opportunities with, you know, what we still have to learn um, and we what some of the risks, the real risks are for customers that we all care about. So I think that kind of nuanced, balanced approach is exactly what, you know, all of us should be taking away and, and thinking about this new technology with. To maybe turn the mic back to you, I'm curious, based from, from everything you heard in, in our reflections on, on this past season, we've, we've always tried to be very thoughtful and thesis-centric when it comes to fintech and financial inclusion. I think this is one of the things that, that we, we identify as, as very central to our work. And when you think about the criteria that we're using to assess opportunities in, in Web3 and crypto uh, and, and how they apply to financial inclusion, maybe elucidate a bit more on how you see our own thesis being applied and, and what are some intricacies behind that? As you know, we think about and we've thought about how to think about this space a lot. <laughs> um, so there's, you know, a lot that's been happening, a lot that's in the news. And we, we spent a lot of time as a team trying to parse through it and, and understand how to how to approach Web3. And ultimately, I actually think it's a fairly similar framework we're applying to DeFi and Web3 um, as we do for any other investment. And, and fundamentally, that means starting with a customer-first approach, understanding who is this DeFi solution trying to reach, how is it trying to provide those customers access to better quality financial products, and how are they doing that in a fair, responsible way? So that fundamentally is, is what we're thinking about, and that's our frame. You know, as, as I talk to DeFi entrepreneurs, and I know this is the same for you, in, in my head, I'm constantly thinking about that element and and trying to cut through the noise and cut through the hype to understand really can this company do at least one of three things can their solution reduce the costs for the end customer or user they're trying to reach so you know you talked with goldfinch like is there a st stable coin based um, or a stable coin backed liquidity pool that allows for better small business debt financing. The second, though, is can this provide more transparency and efficiency in delivering solutions? So we've seen some really interesting, innovative ideas around remittance in general, but um, particularly thinking about borderless payments for refugees. 
So I think there's a lot that you know, hopefully will emerge there. But then the third thing is, can this solution enable ownership and wealth building for the financially excluded? We've for a long time talked about asset tracking and smart contracts that creates just easier proof of ownership. It's really the foundation for a lot of different financial services can be offered to, to customers. So those are the types of, I think, criteria I'm thinking about we're looking at when we when we see a, a model but we're also as you've alluded to you know thought a lot about the risks this is new technology we're working with the most vulnerable and underserved customers around the world so you know there's a lot more scrutiny about the the technical side the technical elements of a solution there's a lot more understanding around what the regulatory environment looks like and there's also just you know how does this deal get made what is the investment criteria look like, you know, how do we actually think about splitting our equity between a traditional cap table and tokens? So there's still so much to be worked out. And I think balancing that opportunity with the risks is, is something we're going to continue to be doing. I think you point out some really important elements of what I think we've been collectively observing. Just a couple of things I, I would harp on a little bit more is, is one particularly around this technology element and I'm remembering my time at GitHub when I was working with developer communities and the robustness of particular open source open source projects like Ruby or other languages really was driven by having a strong a strong community of folks that wanted to contribute to it. But also as a result, it created a, a really solid base of developers. So it made it easier to build projects on that because you knew there'd be a good base of talent for that. And I think in the same fashion, there are all these protocols that are emerging within Web3. And I'm keeping a close watch on which ones seem to have a more robust developer community. Salo Foundation and, and what they're building out there on CNC Labs is a really great example of, I think, that's building a, a, a solid base in that in that regard. The other thing I was thinking about too is, is uh, absolutely this, this Wild West component of how a deal is is structured. And, uh, you know, I think I think we've just seen a lot of a lot of examples of, I wouldn't necessarily call them bad actors per se, but, but ultimately I think taking advantage of this instant liquidity that is now available to investors that shortens the duration of, of a payout for uh, for someone who's, who's investing. I don't know where that's going to necessarily land. And at the same time, I don't know what a responsible, how do you, how do you leverage a token to help fund protocol or a project while also getting, uh, you know, getting investors that that do want to have a, a traditional equity stake in a company. Yeah, absolutely. And ultimately, I mean, we do have to be a responsible party to our own investors and and to the, the customers that we are trying to have an impact uh, on. And and if investments are not incentivized by that kind of long term sustainability of a business and more kind of a quick buck, then yeah, there there are major risks there that we have to think about. But I guess with all of that in mind, Matt, you know, why now? As you've talked about, it's it, this is all so nascent and everyone talks about how the crypto winter is here. You know, should we just sit back and wait? Why why look at this now? <laughs> you know, it's it's funny you mentioned that because uh, I tweeted about this a couple of weeks ago 
and it was just uh, I, I was using the you know the the John Travolta gif from Pulp Fiction, where he's like looking around and and nobody is nobody is around. It was basically my my metaphor of how how everyone now seems to be pivoting to AI and has left Web three. So did we are, are we are we going in and and uh, at the at the wrong time because everyone else is, is left? And I I actually tend to think that we we're we're coming in at the right time because in many ways we're starting to see a lot of projects that were not built on solid foundations, ultimately finding themselves really struggling. And you never want to see any, any new ideas or, or founders really, really struggling or seeing their ideas um, suddenly not, not work. But, but at the same time, there's been a lot of, I think, bad actors that have been exposed over the past, the past couple of years. And I, I think that is a, that's an indication that there's a lot of people that are building in this space. Not everyone is going to have a positive ulterior motive behind it. And, and I think this actually leaves a lot more space for us to, to begin to identify what are some of the, the common characteristics of a project that, one, has lasting value and is sustainable, but also, two, fits into our thesis. I think the whole notion of every Web3 project saying we are all about financial inclusion and, and what that involves is essentially is issuing a, a, you know, a get rich quick token. Um, <laughs> you're, you're seeing fewer of those. And so in many ways, I think what that means is it, it enables us to have like deeper conversations with communities that we recognize have been spending many years trying to build true financial inclusion projects. Salo is one of those great examples. I think in many ways, uh, we were able to hone our aim a bit more as a result of the past year or so of, of this winter. Yeah. And, and, and we've seen this in fintech more broadly that, you know, not all fintech looks the same across markets. Um, and so, you know, it, it's it's a good moment for us to also see how this technology, the use cases, how it differs as it you know comes into our the emerging markets we care about outside of the U.S. And I think that's really exciting. So I'm, I'm you know pumped to see what new innovations come, even if it is early days. I just would add one more one more caveat to that. I think what we've also seen is that there are a lot of very powerful investors that have invested in models that have ultimately caused harm. And I think what we need to make sure of is we get the right understanding of what the signals are from other investors and what they're contributing to. And, and I think we also, to your previous point, we want to be a leader in this, right? We want to be the ones who actually know what kind of what kind of ways we can guide other investors and also other founders to build responsible solutions. And, and I think this is going to be a continuous learning process for us as well as, as we look at the space, as we potentially invest in this space, what is our, what is our modal when it comes to building responsible solutions? How do we help founders with the right type of strategic and, and operational tools to help them do that effectively in this really exciting time? So I'm, I'm looking forward to how that, how that might look for us. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Matt, for this whole season and for the guests. I mean, those, the conversations were really educational and informative. Yes. And thank you for joining Ami for this recap. We appreciate it. Of course. That's it for this season of FinTech for the People. Thanks for listening and for joining us on our exploration of the Web3 space. Keep an eye on both our Twitter at AxionVLab and our LinkedIn page as we continue to deliver deeper perspectives on the topic. Thanks again to all of my guests this season, Tim Ran and Ken Ko from Mercy Corps Ventures, Sam Eob from Warbler Labs, Paul Nelson from USAID, Mercedes Bidart from Kipu, 
and Ami Barbu from Venture Lab. Extra special thanks go out to the Axion team for helping with marketing, show notes, and everything else making these episodes possible. Eugenia Shevchenko, Zoe Wang, Elizabeth Winters, and Sarah Marston. And a final huge note of thanks to our friends at Vox Topica, Laura Krebs, Ismael Balderas Wong, Reese Clutter, and Richard Fawal for the production and engineering chops to help us always sound great. We'll be taking a brief hiatus from the podcast over the holidays, but soon we'll be publishing a few highlights from several panels at our recent FinTech for Inclusion Summit. Thanks again, and we'll see you soon.